Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I try to draw some practical life lessons from the words of the Bible and the principles of our faith. I come from a Christian perspective, but I hope these lessons will be of value to you, no matter what faith tradition you come from, or if you are on a faith quest of your own. This week, I want to focus on a topic that's of interest to all of us, and that's work. Whether you are young or old, male or female, rich or poor, your life is shaped by your attitudes toward the work that you do and the work that other people around you do. If you are retired, you may be reflecting on what work meant in your life and how to adjust to life after the role that you were accustomed to playing in the workplace after that's changed. The development and progress of human civilization is driven by labor. The quality of our lives is dependent upon the productivity of workers, of our productivity. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about work, but today's Bible focus, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-13, is one of the most pointed and concise statements about how Christians should view their labor. Paul writes to the people in Thessalonica where some were saying that they didn't need to work because Christ was coming to usher in the end of human history. They didn't think that what they did in this earthly life mattered. They were becoming, as Paul called them, mere busybodies not doing any work. Paul writes, Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, so that we might not be a burden to any of you. This was not because we do not have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Here ends the reading. From the beginning, I would like to clearly state a disclaimer about this passage. The statement, anyone unwilling to work should not eat, has been abused in the past. Taken out of context, these words can be used to justify neglecting the most vulnerable in our communities. It's been used to make political hay by politicians seeking to restrict and put unreasonable conditions on welfare and food programs for the poor and unemployed. Providing an excuse to neglect those in need was certainly not Paul's intent. 
Paul lived in the tradition of Jesus, who insisted that we care for what he called the least of these among us. Now, growing up in a traditional family in a small town in the Midwest, the virtue and necessity of hard work was never in question for me. My paternal grandfather toiled his entire life in the deep coal mines of southern Illinois. My maternal grandfather, a German immigrant, worked for over 50 years as a baker at a mental health institution in the town in which I was born. Both of my grandmothers fulfilled traditional roles as hard-working housewives and mothers. They probably worked harder than their husbands. My father got up and went to work every day as a school custodian, and my mother was a nurse's aide who worked the night shift in our local hospital. Work was a given. Now, I was clearly a a product of the Protestant work ethic, which emphasizes diligence, discipline, and frugality as the fulfillment of our Christian calling, and which is vital to the functioning of capitalism and the growth of our economy. Critics have pointed out that hard work is not exclusively a Protestant value or a Christian value, but it certainly determined my life path. When I was a freshman in high school, I applied for a job at Bob Usgard's Standard Gas Station. I have to set the scene for you. On one corner at the intersection of the two major highways through town stood Bob's Standard. Across the street, Ozzy's DX offered our main competition. Though the stations looked very similar, the work ethic in the two could not have been more different. At night, when the day staff left Ozzy's, the friends of the high school students who manned the place pulled their cars into the service bays to work on them. Other kids sat around on their hoods of their cars in the driveway and hooted and honked at their friends cruising in front. Now, Bob Uskard, my boss, would suffer no such foolish behavior. When Bob hired me, he made it clear that when I was not pumping gas, checking oil, washing windows, repairing tires, or performing other minor mechanical tasks, I was to be scrubbing toilets, cleaning the garage floor with noxious solvent, or restocking the oil racks. My work responsibilities continue until I turned out the lights and balanced the cash register at the end of the evening. Under no circumstances were my friends to distract me from my duties. I bore a sacred responsibility in keeping the business functioning effectively and profitably. And you know what? I loved it. It was one of the most satisfying jobs in my entire life, and I include my entire ministry. I worked nights and weekends during the school year and a full schedule in the summer all throughout high school. I continued working Christmas vacations and summers for my four years in college. Bob paid me well. That job put me through college. Many years later, I made it a point to stop in and thank Bob for teaching me the value and the satisfaction of hard work. I've worked at lots of jobs since then, but I have never been without meaningful work. That's not because I'm particularly virtuous. 
It was just something that was instilled in me early on by the people I respected. And I know that many of you have similar backgrounds and similar stories. Now, it's easy to think of work as a burden or even a curse. In fact, in the Genesis story of Adam and Eve, God curses Adam to a lifetime of toil for his disobedience. To Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and sisals it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. You work hard and then you die. Physical toil has been a curse for a lot of men and women throughout history. Generations of slaves in many cultures have had to work at back-breaking toil for little or no compensation. Often their labors wore out their bodies and led to their premature death. Today, migrant workers move from country to country, work in the dirty jobs that locals refuse to do, and for little pay. And billions of workers spend their long days slumped over assembly lines performing repetitive and meaningless tasks. I would imagine you would have a hard time persuading them that work was anything but a curse. But for me, and for most of the hardworking men and women that I know and have worked with, work is not a curse. Far from it. Work is a blessing. Now, sure, there have been mornings when I had to drag my butt out of bed, but my work gave my life purpose and meaning. When we find fulfilling work, it is what gets us out of bed and out the door in the morning. Many people have the opposite inclination than to avoid work. They work too much and don't leave enough time for recreation and spending time with their families. As is often true, what the Bible states in one place is counterbalanced by a conflicting statement elsewhere. Just as Genesis describes the origin of work as a curse, the writer of Ecclesiastes takes an opposite view in his philosophizing on the meaning of life. He writes, What gain have the workers from their toils? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He's made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. The view of Ecclesiastes can be summed up as work hard and enjoy the material rewards of your life. Not only that, find joy and pleasure in your toil. Whistle while you work. My father was of the oft-stated opinion 
that if you find a job that you love, you will never work another day in your life. The lazy Thessalonians of whom Paul was speaking had lost touch with reality. They were already living as though they'd entered the spiritual realm. They pictured the coming kingdom of God, which they believed Jesus was ushering in on earth, to be completely distinct from earthly life. What they did in this world didn't matter. How they treated other people was irrelevant. It made no difference if they lived morally or immorally, if they worked or loafed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to this passage from the Gospel of Luke where Jesus clarifies things. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said that the kingdom of God was about good news for the poor, releasing the politically oppressed, and restoring sight to the blind. And this was just a partial list of the concrete corrections that God was making in the world through Jesus Christ. And these things were not accomplished by the waving of some magic wand. These goals were not for some pie-in-the-sky vision of heaven. They were accomplished by Jesus instilling a heart of compassion and love among people. Jesus was sending his followers into the world to change things through their work. The community in Thessalonica was one of many that Paul established to accomplish the mission that Jesus prescribed. It is a mission that we continue to carry out today. There are still poor, hungry, and oppressed in the world. There are still people in the world who need healing. That means our mission continues. Our work is not done. Now, is work a virtue? That depends. Most of us have multiple reasons for working, not the least of which is we have to. We have to work to put food on the table and gas in the car. That isn't particularly virtuous. It just is. Providing ourselves and our families is something that should give us a sense of satisfaction and pride. Let it never be said of us that we were mere busybodies who refused to work no matter how difficult it was. But work is a virtue when we see ourselves as a part of a mission to usher in God's kingdom. Now, this mission work is not restricted to those who are employed in religious vocations, though they qualify too. Your work is virtuous whenever you are a productive part 
of a just economic endeavor. Your work is virtuous if you run a business that provides good jobs and a living wage for your employees. Your work is virtuous if you work with your hands and or your mind to produce the goods that make people's lives better. Your work is virtuous if you provide medical care to the sick and the elderly. Your work is virtuous whenever you approach what you do with the goal of serving others. Your work is virtuous whenever you treat those with whom you work with mutual respect and compassion. Here's the good news. Whenever you use your work to bless others, you will be blessed in return. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, On this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. As you do your work and earn your living, do it with humility and confidence that the kingdom of God is being fulfilled in your presence through your work. This might be a good time to assess your work life. Ask yourself these simple questions. What's the larger purpose in the work that I do? Number two, am I using my life and skills to their fullest capabilities? And three, how can I serve others through my work? And finally, how has God blessed me in my work? And may God prosper the works of your hands. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you in all that you do and give you purpose and peace.